0: My name is Ryan Asker. I am also one of the pastors here at Crossview uh, Rosa Parks. And, you know, I have a lot of different friends that I do different activities with. So, for example, I have friends that love to run, swim, and work out with me. I have other friends that I like to play board games with. Uh, some of my friends, you know, they uh, like to watch movies, and we like to watch movies together. And then, of course, Some of my friends are those people who I, you know, have a similar job to. And so we have that in common. Now, some of the things that I do, I do because I just love to do those activities. And I find friends around me that, you know, I kind of surround myself with people that like to do those activities. Other things, you know, I'm, I find that really I love the person And they love doing that activity, and therefore I do that activity, right? Uh, So like board games is something that if you get to know me, I love board games. And it doesn't take long before I'm probably asking you, do you like board games? Because I want to invite you over to my house to play board games. Now, if you know me, you might also think, well... Brian loves to work out because I get up basically every morning, uh, somewhere in the early morning hours, I won't mention when, and uh, you might think Brian loves to work out. And that's sort of true, but really I need all those friends to help me get out there because left to my own devices, I probably would just sleep in. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't love to work out, but sometimes it's hard for me to get there. Do you ever wonder if there are some sort of specific activities in your life that maybe you would or wouldn't do depending on who you're related to and who you have as friends? Maybe you would do that thing. You wouldn't do that thing except that you know somebody and they really like it. I was talking to another friend uh, this week who said that he and his wife uh, have been talking about how it feels like they just don't have as many activities in common as they used to. And he sort of admitted to me that, you know, for a long time, I did some of the activities that my wife liked and sort of left behind some of the things that I liked. And now maybe that's flipped around the other way, and we're realizing as we talked that we need to find some more things in common that we can do. I think the reality is that our activities can influence who our friends are, but The other side of that is true, too. Our friends can influence our activities. And in today's passage, we're going to see how our friendships can influence our spiritual lives as well. It's part of our series on wisdom from the book of 1 Kings. And we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 11 today. Wisdom is really, simply put, making good choices. And the question, of course, then is, who gets to decide what a good choice is? And in week one, Sandy talked a little bit about how, man, we are inundated with all sorts of information in our world, right? I mean, we all have cell phones now, and you can literally, like, Google something, and boom, you've got it. In the old days, you know, when I was growing up, we had to argue about who was right, and then we never knew at the end of the day. Now, you, have, you, know, you don't even have the argument. You just, like, pull up the Google, and it tells you, Right? And so we have all of this information accessible to us, but how do we sort out true wisdom? How do we know what is really good and useful? And uh, part of what Sandy said is we need God. We need God to point us towards true wisdom. Well, this week, we take that a step further and talk about a little bit how our friends affect our choices and how we can be wiser in our friendship choices. So let's jump in. First uh, Kings chapter 11, we're looking at Solomon's life. Uh, verse number one says King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtaroth, the the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon... Did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. So let's pause here in our story and make sure that we're understanding kind of what's happening. The however in verse 1 kind of clues us in to the fact that there's a little more to the story than just what's right here. And in fact, there is. If we go back to chapter 10, we can see that Solomon is visited by the queen of Sheba, somebody who is very wealthy and well known in the world. She comes to see Solomon and says, wow, you do have a lot of wisdom, clearly, because you're rich and very powerful. And the the end of the chapter summarizes this and talks about all the things that Solomon has accumulated. But embedded within that kind of praise, if you will, of Solomon are some critiques. There's some things in there that are like, wait, this isn't quite right. Right? And it continues in chapter 11 as we dive in. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God had said, given some clear instructions for the kings. And in chapters, the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11, we find that Solomon has literally broken every single one of the commands that God had given the kings to obey. And not only that, but now we find at the beginning of this that he's married women from these other nations and it mentions that god had said that he shouldn't do this these are the nations the exact nations that god had mentioned in deuteronomy chapter 7 that said all of israelites should avoid marrying because they might lead them away from following god so why would god like say these things in fact it says that god would get angry well I submit to you that I think God is a jealous God. This is more of what it is about that what I mean by that is that God made a covenant with the people of Israel. And he did all of these amazing things for the people of Israel. He brought them up out of the land of Egypt where they were enslaved. He provided a cloud of day by uh, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide them. He provided food to eat and water to drink. And he made sure their shoes never wore out on the journey. And we could go on and on with all the things that God had done for them. In response, God asked them to worship God alone. And I think we can understand that today. In our marriages, we, and our relationships, we have some level of expectation around exclusion. We don't want our boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse cheating on us. There's a jealousy in that. And God has that kind of jealousy for our relationship. So these commands aren't so much about who they should or shouldn't marry, as much as they are about God's desire for us to have that exclusive relationship with him. But, of course, that's not what Solomon did. And in chapter seven, uh, verse 7, we find out a little bit more detail. It says, On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place, for Chemosh the detestable god of Moab and for Molech the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude And you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but I will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen." So I think this is where the story starts to get fascinating for me. Notice it says that God appeared to Solomon not once, but two different times. Have you ever heard anybody say, I just wish that God would speak to me personally? Well, guess what? Solomon had God speak to him personally twice. Two different times God met with him personally, and yet what did it do for Solomon? Where did Solomon end up in the end? Did he obey God? No. He disobeyed God. But that's not why God was mad at Solomon. It wasn't because of his disobedience. It says that God became angry because Solomon's heart had turned away from God. And When it says that he built these high places for the gods of Chemosh and uh, the other gods, really what that's saying is that he was worshiping these other gods. So Solomon's heart had turned away from God. He was no longer worshiping God alone. He was worshiping these other gods. His heart, or his attitude, as the scripture says, had turned away from God. So the breaking of the commands was really more of a symptom of the real problem, a heart problem that Solomon had. Solomon loved other things more than he loved God. And the narrator is asking us at this time to think about, is there anything that you love more than God? Is there something out there in this world that grabs your heart more than God? Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods, anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you, it's a counterfeit God. And there are millions of different counterfeit gods in our world. But I believe the only way we can find true fulfillment is if we look to the one true God, these other gods will promise fulfillment. They'll promise all sorts of things. But only God gives us true fulfillment. Unfortunately, it's so easy for our hearts to bend in other directions and to bend towards these other counterfeit gods. Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, identifies a number of different common counterfeit gods we encounter in our world and he groups them into two categories one of them is outward gods things like money love family these are things that aren't necessarily bad but they can become bad when they take the place of God and then he identifies inward things like success power and control And again, none of these are inherently bad. We can use all of these things for good. It's natural for us, for example, to want to protect our children. But if we take that to the extreme and we don't let our kids fail and we don't allow them to try anything that would be difficult, we could destroy their self-worth and confidence. Because if a child doesn't know how to fail, if the child doesn't know how to go through life with the ability to face fear, the fear of failure, they won't know how to respond when they lose their job someday or when they face a challenge and even when they're wronged in life. So as important as it is to identify our counterfeit gods, I think that's helpful, that's actually not the moral of this story. The question is, why did Solomon want to worship these counterfeit gods. And the text says in verses 3 and 4 that Solomon had many wives who influenced him and led him astray. Despite the fact that scripture says that Solomon was one of the wisest people in history. The fact despite the fact that he had two personal visits from God where God spoke to him personally He was influenced by his many wives and turned his heart away from God. And I think for us, we need to be careful that we don't think of ourselves as better than Solomon. That we too can easily find ourselves being led astray by our friends and other people around us. We are so easily influenced by the people that we spend the most time with. In the words of Dan Pena, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Or in the words of Apostle Paul, who was quoting the Greek Greek poet Menander, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Solomon had all of the wisdom in the world. He had full access to God. He had personal visits from God and yet he was corrupted through the influence of his many wives. In the same way that my activities are influenced by my friends and my relationship with my family members, our spiritual lives are influenced by the people that we hang out with. Which is why I think we need to ask ourselves regularly, who are my friends? And what and how are they influencing me? Now, we do need to be careful, a little caveat here. This is not a message to encourage us to live insular lives and somehow sort of start a commune and never interact with anybody outside. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about today, just to clarify. But I think it's helpful to think of it this way. If you want to start a new habit, it's helpful to find a group of people that are pursuing that habit and join them. A group of people that are pursuing the same thing together is a powerful ally. So it's one of the reasons why I schedule workouts with other people. Because I know that if I schedule a workout with you, I'm going I'm to go do it. And so in the similar sort of thinking, if you want to pursue God, if that's your desire, I really want to pursue God. I want to get to know God. Because I really do believe pursuing God helps us to live a full life and to have fulfillment. If that's something that you want, you want to pursue God, surround yourself with people who are following God. And they're going to help you to follow Jesus. So this week, I want to encourage you to think about who are the people that you hang out with the most. And how are they influencing you either positively or negatively? And then think about is is that who I want to be? Is that who God wants me to be? And that doesn't mean that you need to abandon those relationships. But who are the people then that you could hang out with that could help you pursue God more if that's what you want. And I like to think of the 222 two, two principle. Who are the two people that are that I look up to spiritually? And I man, I wish I could live like they are how could I spend more time with those two people? And then, who are the two people kind of alongside of me that are in a similar place to me, that are sort of running along in life, and we're we're both trying to pursue God, we're both maybe in a similar life stage, or whatever it is that you find similar, that you can run towards God with, and you can share things with? And then, who are the two people that you can influence that you maybe are further along in your spiritual journey, that you can help them learn how to run after Jesus. And if we round ourselves out like that well, where we have people influencing, we have people alongside of us, and we have people we're influencing, we're gonna live a full life. I know I need help working out, so I schedule workouts. I believe that if you want to spend more time with Jesus, finding people that want to pursue Jesus, they're going to help you pursue Jesus. Let's pray. God, thanks uh, for your word. Thanks for Solomon and his example uh, to us, and David as well. Thanks for the ways that we get to learn from these characters and their mistakes and their successes. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to surround ourselves with people who are pursuing you so that we can become more like you. Amen.